Welcome to Doc Talks, brought to you from NerdWorks Media. Welcome back to Doc Talks, where I Doc Talk, and we're off to Monks again. Thank you again for joining us as we talk about this really cool multi-use class. It's I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. I can't help myself. I hope everybody's doing good. I am so glad you joined me today as we go through this again. We have a lot of emotional stuff going on at Bros and Dragons. And if you really like a good story, and I'll be honest with you, we use rules of D&D just to determine what we're going to do and have some kind of guidelines. But the story is not guided by Dungeons and Dragons. It is a homebrew world made by me and my friends over now a decade of playing. Originally started with Tom Benson, and Bro's old guy. If you can get in touch with him, tell him I said hi. And uh, moving on, it became what it is today, and the amazing stuff that we go through. Um, I am. Really glad that so many people come out and enjoy that show. And we would love to hear from you about that show, in our Discord, everything in general. would love to hear you and see you and all the other good stuff. We are, are moving forward in NerdWorks Media. It got, it's coming to holiday season, so some things are going to change. I'll let you know now if you're supporting us on Bros and Dragons or even NerdWorks. Uh, Bros and Dragons will have holiday breaks, and for a while we will go to releasing one episode every two weeks just to get our buffer back. We're getting to a point we don't feel comfortable just having that many laying around because even though the streams might be inconsistent from time to time, we'll make sure the podcast is fully consistent. So if you ever wonder why, like as an example... Last Friday, episode 8 was released of Bros, or, uh, excuse me, 58, or season 3, episode 8, of Bros and Dragons was released, but we recorded episode 11, or 61, depending on how you look at it, yesterday is because that is our buffer, and not next Monday, but the Monday after, uh, there'll be something a little different, just to give you guys a heads up, but come on out, because, you know, sometimes we just like to have some fun. <clears throat> uh, excuse me. After the show, there's going to be about an hour, and then come back. There's a really good uh, talk show called Game Night, I believe, yes, uh, where some of the guys um, from, uh, hold on, they just re-released, they're, they're like doing this whole um, thing, and I just want to say the right one, Storycraft Games um, run a talk show where they just talk different kinds of tabletop, tabletop industry, different things that are going on. It's been really good, um, and we've enjoyed it. Along with the Rupture shows, now that we got them evened out, um, they moved from Friday to Thursday, and they still have the one on Saturday. So drop in and say hi to them. Uh, Vigia Games and Coffee are going. There's a little bump. Uh, you may see my face trying to do vid Vigia Games tomorrow instead of Mike's face. So come on out. I would love just to hang and chill and have a good time with you guys. And you can watch how I am 
not as good as video games as uh, my gifts. Oh, and there's Stella. She said hi. I think that's it for announcements. There's a lot of stuff going on, but there's not a lot of stuff going on that you guys can see. Um, heads up. Maybe you want to be the first, well, second, because I already ordered uh, samples for myself. But a new store might be coming that has NerdWorks on it, and you can help us continue what we're doing um, for very small profit on a lot of what we're going to sell, but we're looking to possibly get into having our brand out there. Um, I ordered a coffee mug, a t-shirt, and a sweater, um, and they are samples, so I will let you know, and I will do it honestly, about what I think with the company that we partnered to do that. <clears throat> um, we are still in Season 1 talking about D&D. We've had a few breaks, and right now we're just breaking down the different classes that you can play. And as the title uh, assumes, resumes, assumes, assumes, whatever, we're still doing Monks, and we're going to get into it. Last week I did a very short episode. I apologize for that. Sometimes my job gets a little out of hand, but I want to get these out as much as possible. And we covered uh, Kensai, or Kensi, depending on how you want to say it. And I enjoy that class because it's very weapons-focused, along with art-focused. It's the fighting style of it being uh, more of an art, with your weapon being part of you. Before we get too far into it, let's jump in and talk about what all monks get. Huh? 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 Hey, hey, do the thing, do the thing. Um, so, we're going to try to cover Long Death and Mercy today. I enjoy Long Death, and if you haven't heard of it before, you're not alone. I talk to a lot of people, and unless you're one of those people that jumps on an app and sees it, and you're trying to understand it, you don't understand a lot of this. I own all the books, so I get to read them and try to understand them, and I encourage you, though I don't do it on this show, I encourage you to read the little blurbs so that you get an idea of how you want to roleplay whatever you're going to play. Everything has like a little blurb about them on top, explaining them what they might look like, what they might act like. And I encourage you very much to do said reading for said things. <clears throat> um... But, as always, we're going to jump into what every monk gets. I do want to remind you that, for the most part, monks are not attached to monasteries, even though in D&D that's the way it was. And you might ask why, or I don't want to do that, and all this other stuff. But understand that the reason that monks did the monasteries was to give them an adventuring reason. Monks historically shut themselves out from everything around them. Monks don't travel. Monks don't go on adventures. They might go on pilgrimages, but most of those monks are not the martial art monks. Historically, monks are those that are hermits that isolate themselves because they came up with an epiphany about some religious understanding, whether it's connected to a religion or not, is definitely not a thing. It was not definitely a religion it was connected to, but it was more of an esoteric study of themselves that they wanted to explore. So when you think about it, though, in this, you can do whatever you want. It is your character. But understand being attached to a monastery allows you to be attached to a land, especially if you're doing Faerun, a little bit easier and to have ties and to be immersed into the game. 
It's cool to come up with unique, wonderful character ideas, but make sure that you're taking the time with either some studies or with your DM. I suggest with both, but definitely with your DM to immerse yourself into the area that you are going to be playing in. <clears throat> there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than having a player that has a cool character with no connections on what's going on. Or no reason to be with the party. And remember, I've, I've touched on that a couple of times. Maybe we'll do an episode more on that. About having that connection in the party and why it's important um, for everything that's going on. Uh, every monk, though, is going to get the, you know, the bonuses that everybody gets at the beginning. Theirs are a little unique because they don't get any armor bonuses. And that's because... No armor is external where a monk trains from within, right? So a monk learns to count on themselves. Somebody once told me that they don't like monks in the party, not because of the normal DM thing about, oh, it's difficult to DM against them. I don't, I don't think it is. It's okay for them to be a little bit more difficult, especially if it's in the story and the character's just working out. That's perfect. That's not bad, and it should not be condemned. But a lot of people have a hard time because they don't know what to give a monk for, like, magical weapons. And I've tried to explain that most monks are designed not to have that. Most monks are, in the Faerun world, very esoteric um, people. It's within. Everything they've got, they're... Armor is themselves. Their attacks is themselves. These are the epitomes of what a monk is. Uh, we look at... Sorry, I hear a train, and it threw me off. And hey, the train got me this time. <coughs> um, sorry, the weather shifts, and when it does, I get a little clogged up. Um, weapons are simple weapons, all simple weapons, and short swords. Yeah, I think. But if it's not, I'm wrong, and that's fine. Uh, it's because monks really do rely on themselves and not necessarily their weapons. Kensai is more towards the weapon, and even then it had a choose-a-weapon even from the martial class, and you just become um, proficient with it. You gain an artesian tool or an instrument. This is an expression of that inner self being expressed outwardly. Um, but choose whatever you want to have fun, but know that if you're trying to play the character that that might be helpful to you as well. It's neat to be this vicious fighter that plays peaceful and loving music when people understand having this cool idea that they, they connect to each other. Uh, you're granted unarmored defense, remember, because it is, as a monk, you're training from within. So usually unarmored, not having any armor on, you would do 10 plus your dexterity to give yourself an armor class. As a monk, you've hardened your life force. You've learned to channel your chi. Your ki is what they call it in this game. And you use that as well. So as well as your dex, you're now going to add your wisdom modifier as well. Which ups it if you put the right um, numbers in the right areas. You gain martial arts. This lets you use dex instead of strength, which is major for unarmed attacks. And the damage roll for it as well. But it's for the unarmed attack. You now get a die. You start off with a D4. 
because usually when you punch you're efficient with it so it's one point plus your strength modifier now you start off with 1d4 plus your dex or strength depending on what kind of monk you want to play I don't have a straw hat Azure this is Doc um, Nerdworks does the straw hat I I don't even own one, but I was thinking of while I'm building my, my supercomputer getting one because Farmer Dan sounds pretty fun too. Farmer Doc as well. Uh, when you use your attack action with unarmed or what they call monk weapon, but those are the simple weapons, you gain right off the bat to hit with a, like a quarter staff and then punch with one arm strike with your bonus action. Two attacks right off the bat if you want them. Monks can be overwhelming with how much you have available to you, so it's one of those resource trackers that you got to do. One action, one bonus action, and movement every round, so make sure that you're paying attention to that. At second level, that's when you get to tap into key to use it, because your training has gone far enough that now there's outward examples of your inner concentration. The save for key is in there. You need to know it. 8 plus your proficiency bonus plus your wisdom modifier. And you can use, at this point, your points for flurry of blows. And that's on that bonus action after using an attack action, you actually punch twice instead of once. Patient defense, you can use a key point to take a dodge action as a bonus action. So you can attack and then go to patient defense uh, with your bonus action instead of a full action. And uh, step of the wind allowing you to use your bonus action to disengage or dash. Now remember, you're using the bonus action, so just keep in mind that you can't do like everything, but you have options of everything. You also gain unarmed movement and increases you uh, by 10 feet. There's a chart in the book or online, depending on where you're looking this up, and if you're not wearing armor, you get to add 10 more feet of movement right off the bat there. At ninth level, um, it ups not only how far you can go, but also allows you to run across walls or liquid. You can't stop on the wall or the liquid, but you can run across it. At third level, you choose your tradition, which is what we're talking about. Um, when we talk about Kensai, or today we're going to talk about um, Long Death and Mercy. Uh, at third level, though, you choose that and you get the subclass stuff. But also at third class, you gain deflect missiles, which is why a lot of people like it. Uh, monk class in general. So if somebody shoots an arrow, throws a sling rock, uses a missile that's non-magical. You can use your reaction to deflect or catch the missile attack from the ranged weapon attack. So basically, once you're hit and they say how much damage, then you respond by rolling 1d10, and then you add your dexterity and your monk level. At this, it's... 3 with an average of 3 is 6, plus 1d10 with a, you know, able to be 16. You reduce the damage taken, and if you reduce it to 0, you catch that. If you haven't used your reaction when this happens, you can spend one key point and make a ranged attack up to 20 feet from 20 to 60 at disadvantage as a reaction to throw it back. At 4th level, you gain slow fall. You use your reaction... Again, you have to have that reaction, assuming that you still have it, to reduce your falling damage by five times your monk level, which at this point is 20 damage total, and it goes up according to your monk level. 
At fifth level, you get quicker and gain a second attack. So if you take the attack action, you take another attack action, you still have those bonus action attacks. Using Flurry of Blows, it'll give you four attacks in a round. You can also use a key ability called Stunning Strike. This is the one I've played long enough that everybody enjoys. Most Dungeon Masters don't like I enjoy it because it throws a little bit more strategy into everything. Stunning Strike is when you hit and once you hit. You can spend a key point and make the target roll a constitution saving throw or be stunned until the end of your next turn. At 6th level, your key makes uh, your attacks, your, your inner study. When we say key, that's what we're talking about. Not key points, but key. Your key allows your attacks to be considered magical to overcome resistances and immunity to non-magical weapons. Uh, ghost Punch. At 7th level, you gain stillness of mind. You can use your action your full action, but you can use it to end an effect that's causing you to be charmed or frightened. Without rolling, just do it. Now remember, your action comes before the end of your turn, so you can't wait till the end of your turn to roll and then decide on that same turn to use your action like this. You have to either take the action to dismiss it or hope that you roll high enough at the end. Um, And at the 7th level, you also gain evasion, which when you roll a dexterity save on an area effect attack or any attack that causes you to roll a dex save. Normally you would take full damage or half damage. Now you're going to take half damage or no damage, just like a rogue at 7th level, no key points, no nothing. At 10th level, purity of body, you become immune to disease and poison. At 13th level, you gain tongue of sun and moon where you use your key not points, but your key, to touch the inter, uh, the inner key of another being. As long as they understand a spoken language, you understand their spoken language and they understand yours. So it's kind of, if there's a lot of language barrier, monks really could just overcome that when they get there. But that's 13th level, that's way on, but no, it's there. At 15th level, you gain Timeless Body. Your key sustains you. I've had to explain this a few times. I'm going to do it one more time. You don't need to eat or drink anymore. And you don't suffer from the frailty of old age. You still die. You still get old. None of that changes. But you don't become weak and frail. A monk continues to be using their inner force, able to not worry about the passage of time. And if you're wondering, yes, there are optional rules to having old characters. Um, And we've created a few table rules in the past for that. At 18th level, if you make it this far, you can become invisible and become resistant to all damage while invisible except for force damage. And you can use key points as well on top of this to astral project yourself. And finally, at 20th level, you become Perfect Soul. This lets you add four key to your roll. If you roll initiative and you have no key, you add four key points. That simple. That's a lot, and that's why a lot of these other ones are going to be shorter, but that's what monks get. Now, we get to break it down a little bit more, add a few more things, monastic tradition, monastic, monasterial, whatever, subclasses. (laughs) I'm having a problem today. Uh, Before we jump into long death, 
Um, I am contractually obligated to play a quick commercial, so I will do so, and I will see you in just a moment because it's not that long. I'm not going anywhere. I'm sitting right here watching it with you. So here we go. I don't know which one I have, so we're going to find out together. All right, be right back. It has been 300 years since the Great Rupture, and now magical energy known as mana flows through all of creation, through all people, through all rocks and trees, through the very land itself, through the water that surrounds us and the sky above us. Many have used their own mana to create magnificent realities and to change and shape this world of Taral. Some could not handle the mana flowing through their veins and it has torn at their very soul. Many people are seeking a way to reverse the effects of being mana torn, but to no avail. Here in the shadow of the empire, created by the peace treaty between the humans and orcs, you have a chance to shape your destiny. What will you do with the mana flowing through your veins? What paths will you follow? What trails will you blaze? The choice is completely yours. Come to the magical land of Tural and decide your destiny. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Ignore that that said Kickstarter. It is off now. They realize they have to do a little bit more looking around. So I do apologize for playing that. But do go check out Rupture um, again with... um, Oh, I feel terrible. I just looked it up and I feel bad. Uh, 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 Storycraft Games. Man, you'd think I would know that because it's not new. Rupture is by Storycraft Games, but they're getting into other games and um, it seems pretty awesome. The Rupture is a really neat game to set up. Um, I haven't seen a lot of it because my life's super busy and what I do, but I do recommend going over to Rupture at RuptureRPG.com, taking a look at what they have. They have some play material. You could try it out. And then when they're ready to relaunch, we will all be prepared for a pretty good game system. And I'll be honest, I still have to check it all out myself. And I feel like a terrible friend because I talk to, well, Sean and, and Geek Girl a lot. So I feel bad. But I love you guys. Okay, so let's jump back into our thing. And I will put the right commercial in for podcasts. So you're probably here listening to, uh, listening to some podcasts like, what's he talking about? Don't worry about it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> let's jump into Long Death. This monk is obsessed with death. Its monastery is surrounded by death. It's very scientific. An observer. Uh, observer? Observer of kind. That knows and how to use the information they gathered from watching people die, being involved with death. At level three, when you gain this uh, tradition, you get touch of death. You can cause a creature, when you cause a creature that's five feet from you, and you have to do this. But you hit them and they go to zero HP. You gain temporary hit points equal to your wisdom modifier plus your monk level. So right here, if we're looking at it, you get six temporary hit points. At level six, you get Hour of Reaping. Uh, basically, you've been touched by Death herself. And I say herself because in Bros and Dragons in the Bengen world, um, Death is a, a girl. 
and she is an old PC that played in Bros. Dragon Season 1, or, I don't know if it was 1 and 2, but it's definitely 2. Played by John Sika. Uh, but death, when you take uh, this action, the creature, all creatures within 30, oh, excuse me, I'm jumping, yes, Hour of Reaping. Uh, when you When you use Hour of Reaping, it's an action. Each creature 30 feet from you that can see you makes a wisdom saving throw or is frightened by you until the end of your next turn. A lot of people don't look look at... People don't look... A lot of people look at stuff like this and they don't know what to do with it. It's crowd control. And if you're not just trying to do a lot of damage, if you do have a party that worries a little bit more control dynamic of what's going on, um, it's going to be a lot more fun for everybody involved, including the DM, because now the DM can do stuff extra, can throw a few um, more things at you, make things a little bit more difficult. But that's all in the strategy of the players, because remember we talked about this a long time ago, Dungeons and Dragons, in his heart, is a war game, a strategy war game. Over years, it's become role-playing, and I agree that it's role-playing. But I don't think that it ever lost its strategy. We just are less strategic when we make characters. And so keep that in mind when you do as well. Um, at level 11, you become you gain something called Mastery of Death. You're so familiar with death, you've learned to evade her. When you are reduced to zero hit points, you can expend a key point, if you have any, to be at one hit point instead. You can stop yourself from going unconscious and rolling death saves. And by the way, when you hit zero hit points, you're not dead. You're unconscious. Um, a lot of people just go for the death thing. I don't know why. At level 17, you gain touch of the long death. You know, what you're building up to, right? <clears throat> Basically, you've learned everything that you can from death. You understand it more than anybody else. And now, as an action, you can touch one creature within five feet of you. You expend 1 to 10 key points. The target must make a con save. If they fail, they take 2d10 necrotic damage per key that you used. So you could take 20d10. Basically, you channel death through your key and you focus it into the other creatures. After I read this today, and I don't know why I didn't think about this before... I really want to see a party of an Oathbreaker Paladin, a Death Cleric, Long Death Monk, that are like feared by the world, like some kind of special unit that a kingdom may have that scares people, but are trying to save it and see how they play in it. And I would love a warlock in there would be a B.E. a beautiful thing, and I would love it. Uh, let's switch to Mercy Monks. That's the next one up in the line, but we need a little bit more happy energy, so let's bleed off the negative death stuff and think happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, and go into Mercy Monks. Mercy Monks at level 3, and it really explains the monks a little bit better, they gain what's called Implements of Mercy. You gain proficient insight in medicine if you don't already have them, and you gain a an herbalism kit. If you look into herbalism or herbalism kits, uh, you find that you can use them to craft anti-venom and potions of healing. 
You also gain a special mask. You can roll on a chart, or if you're like me as a DM, you allow people to pick it depending on what they're doing. And the mask is in the shape of a raven, a blank white, uh, it's blank mask with white on it, a crying visage mask, a laughing visage mask, a skull mask, or a butterfly mask, which I'm still trying to figure out. i got to find a picture of that because I read that and was like, I want a butterfly mask. I don't know why. I just need one. Um, these aren't limited to that. Choosing one of these masks doesn't do anything. It doesn't change anything. And it really is just optional. So as long as it doesn't change anything, it doesn't add to, it doesn't add mechanics or whatever, go nuts, talk to your DM, and don't surprise them. That's what I'm always going to tell you guys. At level 3, you also gain something called Hands of Healing. You use your key to mend wounds as an action. You can spend one key, touch a creature, and restore a number of hit points equal to rolling one of your martial arts die. At this, I think it's still D4, plus your wisdom modifier. I was thinking about this a little bit because uh, Nerdworks and I talk all the time about what a really cool different ideas are out there. And one of them is using the healer feet with a thief rogue to run around and do damage and heal and now I'm thinking about making a multi-class with that. Um, but it is interesting. You, you have to use your action to do this. There is one little caveat. There's another line in here if you keep reading. Where if you use flurry of blows, instead of hitting twice, one you know two unarmed strikes, you can do one unarmed strike and then choose to use the other one to use your hand of healing. But, again, you're burning through key points at that point, so just keep that in mind. You also, at level 3, get something called Hands of Harm. So you get Hands of Healing and Hands of Harm. Hands of Harm, you use your key to inflict wounds. You spend one key point when you hit a creature. And you can do one martial art die, plus your Wisdom modifier, and necrotic damage. But you can only do it once per turn. It's kind of like Sneak Attack, but you have to actually pay for it. Um, which is interesting in and of itself and has great guidelines. Now, I got really bright in here, but that's because I didn't finish my notes before I got started today. So we're going to jump into the notes. <laughs> At 6th level, you're going to gain Physician's Touch. Administrate greater curses with the touch, if you want to call them curses, or you know, channeling your key, however you want to put this. Um, you feel it. it's necessary that you can use your knowledge to cause harm to people. Uh, when you use Hands of Healing on a creature, you can also end one disease or one of the following conditions. So basically, when you spend the key to do your Hands of Healing, even if you did it with the Flurry of Blows, you allow you... It, it says administer greater curses in the writing, but I don't know. I see this more as being able to both you you're conflicted night and day kind of thing so when you use a healing hand on a creature you get to end one disease or blind or deaf or paralyzed poison or stun if any of those are inflicting them you can choose to do that when you use your hands of harm on a creature you can subject that creature to a poison condition until the end of your next turn so it's free. There's no stopping with the hands of harm. I guess it's if the hands of harm hit, that's the condition that needs to be met. 
So it's interesting to me um, what that has for it as well. So flurry of healing and harm is something that happens at 11, which is, as you read this, and I will say, the more they come out with, the more powerful, more exotic they can be. Stella, I love you, but quit crying. You're going to be on my podcast crying. and It's not going to be good for sound, even though everybody loves puppos. Stop crying at your brother. You're just trying to start stuff. Flurry of healing and harm. So at 11th level, and this is usually the top, what I've talked about where people get. There's one more thing here. But you can now meet out a flurry of comfort and hurt is what it says. And I love that. I don't know why. When you use flurry of blows, you can now replace each of the unarmed strikes with the use of your hands of healing without spending key for the healing. In addition, when you make an unarmed strike with flurry of blows, you can use hands of harm with that strike without spending the key point for harm. You can still only do it once per turn. You don't gain multiples on that, but you can still do it with one of those. This gives you a lot of options, especially if you're using flurry of blows, to hit with harm, not spend a key point, do the extra damage, and then turn and do... Uh, excuse me, uh, healing, and not use the key point. And now this is just crazy, and there's a lot going on. Uh, By 17th level, you're going to gain something called Hand of Ultimate Mercy. You master life energy. It opens the doors to ultimate mercy. It's about that life tread, the grave cleric, if you will, but beyond. As an action. You can touch the corpse of a creature that died in the past 24 hours. Spend 5 key points. The creature then returns to life, regaining a number of hit points equal to 4d10, plus your wisdom modifier. If the creature died while subject to any of the following conditions, it revives with them removed. Blind, deaf, paralyzed, poisoned, or stunned. For some other reason, they just suffer onto those. Once you use this feature, you can't use it again for a long rest. This is powerful. And I know some people would read it and be like, wow, that's just monks being overpowerful again. This is... This is not that powerful. Because it's at 17th level. I have had... Two campaigns in my long history of playing games that have actually got beyond 13th level. One of them got up past this and i'm not talking about like i've done a few one shots at level 20 just to let people use creative juices but this is pretty good (laughs) but it's kind of like when you get to that level 20 levels like normally have something super powerful this one's this whole thing is a very powerful build um And if you're going to do it, take some pride in doing it. Be sure that you're not breaking the rules while doing it. But it could be really interesting. I did not plan a third one because it's taking me so long to get through stuff lately. Um, And I need a new commercial because usually it's a little bit longer. I had to stop that one early. So I do apologize for that. I'm really glad you guys stopped out. I'm really glad you're listening to this later on podcast. I've got a new build for a computer coming to increase what I do and do more community nights. I'm learning how to do things appropriately for community nights. Um, I have a 
a real janky setup that I'm really excited for tomorrow night doing uh, on my own channel uh, where I literally put an Xbox next to me, a small TV, and a camera to the TV. It's kind of fun that it just, but I get to play games that I couldn't play before. Hear you guys, see you guys. I am one of those people that when I get into a video game and I have to do this and look up at it because I use that TV normally, that somebody says something in the chat's way down here and I don't see it. Now they're right next to each other, so I'll be able to see it and respond to you guys. Thank you guys for supporting us, supporting us in every way, including charity events, including the other people that are on here. The different podcasts. I know this one's 45 minutes, so it doesn't always get picked up. But I appreciate everybody who comes out to check me out. Um, I love everything that you're doing. And, as always, love one another. Keep it nerdy. And live your dreams. Later. This has been a NerdWorks production.